Hey guys, this is Justin and Jasad, and you're listening to No Country for Old Coffee. Follow us on Twitter and No Country Pod and Instagram at No Country JJ. For our full Colorado shows, we're available everywhere you get your podcast from. If you're interested in being on the show, DM us on Instagram or Twitter. Or you can email us at nocountryforoldcoffee at gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode. All right, guys, this is Justin, and you're listening to No Country for Old Coffee. This, of course, is our segment, Coffee Break, where we introduce interesting people for interesting conversations. Today with me, I have director, writer, producer, actor, and cinematographer, Edward Payson. Welcome, Edward, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. All right, so for those who are listening and do not know, the, the idiots who don't know who you are, tell us who Edward is. Give us the blueprint sure. or the rundown. Where does he start? How does he start? Where is he now? Uh, so, yeah. So I uh, came to L.A. in 2007 uh, in hopes of becoming a director. Went to film school, did all that jazz. Uh, and now I'm uh, on my eighth feature film. I have four coming out this year, actually. Uh, and then I've like like you mentioned, I, I have done everything under the sun to kind of get where I am now everything from getting coffee to people to getting coffee poured on me to uh, horror movies where uh, they didn't have a effects budget. So I was made to eat actual um, <laughs> pig guts as like a oh. zombie. And it, I wasn't told there were actual pig guts till after. So uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a fun ride. I've, like I said, I've been on here since 2007 and uh, everything keeps changing each year. So, uh, you know, it's been, amazing so according to your imdb page which i hope everything is correct because my notes all of my notes come from there so you were born in manchester new hampshire correct and moved to la in 2007 you said correct yeah so like i know usually like the typical uh getting famous starting in the entertainment business is to go to la did you was that like always where you knew you wanted to be is that somewhere that it just came to you or where the op- or did you know the opportunities were there so you had to just go there uh it's funny you should ask that because uh someone actually just asked me about that yesterday and it wasn't immediate to me that i need to move to la i actually started uh at a local college uh bridgewater state college which was just like it had a film program but it was a state school it wasn't like um you know specializing in film and it became pretty clear pretty quickly that I wasn't going to get the things that I need from that school as far as film. It was literally like, here's a $75 camera that we got from Walmart, go film stuff and give us your money. They didn't use any professional mics. Um, They had four editing bays for over 300 students that wanted to be in the film program that we all just kind of had to fight for. So, you know, one day I just decided, like, if I really am going to be serious about this, I need to move to New York or to Los Angeles. And Los Angeles ended up being the place. Um, came out here without ever seeing my dorm room or anything like that or ever being out here in my life. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, I'm kind of thrust into this world that I really wasn't familiar with. Um, I was in school. I was like kind of like a jock per se or like someone who really likes sports and stuff. And then out here, I'm like being asked questions like, ew, how do you watch football and stuff like that? And I was like in the you know minority for the first time. I was like, oh, wow, well, this is going to take some getting used to. But, you know, I did. I found my own like kind of click 
And uh, from there, just started making movies on the weekends with friends and progressing and making bigger and better things. Right. So that's actually amazing. So like when I started my podcast, I was told that you don't need the perfect amount of equipment to have a successful or have a good time doing it is so I'd imagine that shooting on a 75 so I imagine it being different with like directing or editing that you can't you know produce the best looking or best sounding thing with something that costs $50 or even $100 at that so like would you say it's it might, it might seem like a crazy question, right? So would you, do you think it's better for you personally? Do you think it's better to do that small budget $75 camera and equipment or the, the equipment that's, let's say, $30,000? Uh, well, I think starting out, you should just definitely use what's available to you or you won't ever get your you know, uh, feet off the ground. Basically, like I have friends that I went to film school with who are just sitting around and waiting for their first film to be the film where someone gives them $500,000, but it's not realistic because no one's just going to give you $500,000 if you have nothing to work with or nothing to show. Um, So basically, they're just sitting there not making anything, whereas I, from the beginning, even with that $75, you know, uh, I was shooting things that were immediately accessible to me. I was having my family act. I was having, you know, my neighbors act. I was having friends act. Uh, I was using locations like my basement and dressing it up like a dungeon and stuff like that. So using things that were immediately available to me. And then as the budgets got bigger, you know, the the scope of things kind of got bigger. Um, I did my first feature film the summer that I was at film school that in 2007, I started it. And we shot on weekends for close to two years And it was the most ambitious project still like cast wise and stuff that I've done to this day. It was called Morbid, a love story. And it wasn't ever officially released. We went to some film festivals and stuff like that, but um, maybe someday, but I definitely learned more than I learned in film school, working on that film, just getting hands-on and, you know, working with a 75 person cast and uh, dealing with all the problems as they came. We had a thing that happened where our editor he had moved in the middle of production and back then you were shooting on mini DV tapes and he had accidentally left more than half the movie in some drawers in his old place. Yikes. So then a year after we were done uh, shooting, we had to go back and make a whole like new 30 minutes ending of the movie. Um, you know, people had moved away, people had quit, some people had died. So like every problem that could possibly go wrong uh happened on that set and then it kind of made me used to it for bigger things going on my newest movie uh that isn't out yet feature film wise is a movie called bits um and for that like just to give you an idea for that movie morbid we had a budget of twenty five hundred dollars that i put on my credit cards and just ended up paying off like last year or something like that for my newest movie bits that we shot in the summer of 2018, I had a $1 million budget. So this was the first time ever. It was like, I didn't have to do everything myself. And it was, it was completely like, completely like mind boggling. I got on set and I'm ready to start doing everything. And they're like, Oh, Mr. Payson, actually your, your dressing room is ready. Just be in your air conditioned dressing room. When we get everything ready, we'll, we'll tell you when we're neat, when you're needed and stuff. Usually I don't even get a chair. So like, you can see like kind of the, uh, 
the difference in that. Um, and, you know, from there, I was like, oh, well, I, you know, I've made it, you know, mm. like, ooh, la, la. And, you know, I always tell the story to people like I thought like that was the big thing. I was getting paid lots of money and stuff. Literally five, five months later, you know, just to make ends meet, I'm driving for Postmates after directing a million dollar film. So it's like you don't ever really have in the entertainment industry anyway, like kind of a um, a baseline as to when you're set and you can just kind of like settle down. You pretty much always just have to be hustling and, and doing whatever you can to make the thing work. I imagine that's like such a such a rags to riches to rag story like it's it's gotta it's gotta be really crazy so you've mentioned the film festivals that you've been in and i've seen that you are pretty successful in those 14 awards is that correct yeah that was for the newest one um Mm -hmm. so basically like film festivals before a few years ago for imdb didn't really allow you to put the awards on there so that's just awards with uh since like 2018 i believe um in so some film festival, yeah yeah there, there's more but like you know i just didn't keep track of them but um yeah i mean film festival awards are good but you know it's always better to have people who are just everyday people kind of like your movie you know like of course like film people like you know they give you the benefit of the doubt and they're kind of usually filmmakers or have something to do with the film fest as well so uh they kind of give you the benefit of the doubt like i said it's great to like meet people who you never met before and have them say like, Oh, that movie touched me or that movie moved me or something like that. And with this new movie that I just released uh, this documentary, our friend, John, this is the first time where like people who had nothing to do with me, nothing to do with the production, nothing to do with anybody in the production actually, you know, sought out to message me on Facebook or, um, you know, send me an email or something like that just to tell me, how this movie like move them or, or, or touch them, you know? Yeah. So you said that you have more awards so nonchalantly. So I, <laughs> I, I'd assume that you're a pretty humble guy. You seem like a pretty humble guy when, when everything is going great, like with the million dollar budget movie and all of the awards and people telling you that they love your films, what keeps you grounded? What keeps you from getting a bit, uh, a big head or a massive ego, I should say. To be completely honest, uh, my wife, <laughs> uh, mostly because she's uh, she's someone who's not in the film industry, and she's someone who's not going to kiss my ass uh, if if you know something's going you know wrong or something like that. Um, that's something I, I took a very long time to get used to out here is people knowing that you're a director, whether you're a successful director or not. Just if you're a director in general, you have to kind of get used to the. Um, assumption that most people you come in contact with are going to want to use you for something you know they're going to want to either be cast in your movies they're going to be want want to you know shoot your movies they're going to want to edit your movies so everybody's coming at you with something so you know it's sometimes a breath of fresh air to kind of surround yourself with people that aren't in the entertainment industry because they really you know aren't gonna want anything from you or need anything from you they're they're just there to spend time with you because they want to yeah i know uh my my co-host he whenever i get pretty big in the idea department like i i'm a very forward-thinking person so whenever i start these these grand i like thoughts he just kind of like oh, let's rein it in let's bring it back but 
being a director and have and being having so many uh, having so many influences on ha having influencing so many things that are in the filmmaking process, right? I've assumed that I would assume that you've come across some criticisms. So, what are some oh, yeah. criticisms that you have, and how have you? How do you cope with people telling it this movie sucks or this movie is bad? Well, that was uh, one of the lessons again that I learned with that mm -hmm. first movie that I did. Uh, you know, specifically, we had like a, a, a pretty much like a, a, only describe them as a stalker, someone who uh, would make a bunch of fake accounts uh, for IMDb and basically gave us a whole bunch of like negative reviews for yes. my movie before it even came out. Uh, and, you know, I found out years later that it was just someone from my film school who was like jealous because I was making a feature film and they were making like short films and stuff. Uh, and you'll run into that like a lot of the times, but like I've learned to kind of not deal with the comments because for every one person who gives a negative comment, there's like five people who watch it and, you know, are, are fine with it, liked it or, or, you know, thought it was okay and didn't feel the need to leave a comment. Um, and especially because like, you know, you look at certain movies like, you know, um, I would say like A24 is a good example. Like you look at a movie like Hereditary or you look at a movie like Midsommar. There's so many people who love it and so many people who hate it. There's like no one in the middle. So I like to think that like no matter what you make, you're going to have a certain number of people who hate it and a certain number of people who like it. So you can't really please everyone. So with, with wearing hanks, so many hats, right, that you wear, being a producer, a writer. I won't, I won't write, I won't run them all down again, cause, but you, but you wear so many hats, right? Yeah. I would assume that you have a different view on a movie or a TV show being made, you know, it would be different than what I would think about it, right? So I would probably say that uh, something like Friends is funny, or somebody, or, you know, you would have a different outlook on it. Well, the cameras need to be tightened. They need to zoom in on, you know what I get. So like, right. with that being said, uh, to you, what makes a movie great or a TV show great? And what are some of your favorite TV and movies? Uh, so what I think makes something great is something that stands the test of time, something that isn't dated, something that, uh, you know, it's made. And then 30 years later or 10 years later, you know, people will still have the same, um, the same feelings they did when it was created. Um, some of my favorite movies, I'm going to probably stick to like the horror genre. But for the most part, like I love outside of the horror, horror genre, I would say True Romance is probably my favorite film. Um, one, it just has like an all-star cast, like pretty much anybody you can think of who was anybody back in the day was like in this movie. I mean, you had Christian Slater, uh, Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper, um, James Gandolfini. You had um, just so many amazing people, Gary Oldman, Samuel L. Jackson, like the list just goes on and on and on. And every single one of them was utilized in a perfect way to like show their strengths as actors. Um, and then the story itself was just like a really cool story written by Quentin Tarantino, um, directed by, um, what's his name? Oh my God, Tony Scott. And um, it just from beginning to end is it, just like amazing. Each scene is better than the next. So that would be my favorite, uh, favorite TV shows of all time. I would probably say six feet under i don't know if you're familiar with that i've heard of it yeah it, it's a great show um before dexter my michael c hall was on it 
and it's basically like this um, show that focuses around a funeral parlor after the person who owns the funeral parlor dies and leaves it all to the, his sons. Basically, mm-hmm. it's like this all this like drama around this funeral parlor, but it's it sounds ridiculous, but you watch it and like by the end you're like so into it by the final episode you're like sobbing at how good it is um and you know a few times in life i feel like i've ever like sobbed because of great filmmaking um and i think that was one of them um trying to think the other ones i don't even remember but like that was one of them where it was so good that you know i was sobbing just because of the great filmmaking at the end the final episode so you said uh, your favorite genre would be horror. What got you, what led you into horror? What, what attracts you from horror? What attracts you to horror, should I say? Sure. Uh, so growing up in New Hampshire, I really didn't have like an outlet for film. Film wasn't seen as a thing that people continued on to do professionally or anything like that. Uh, however, growing up, I had a really good co- connection with my dad in the horror world. Uh, so my dad was showing me movies that I probably wasn't supposed to see at a really, really young age. So I saw like Night of the Living Dead at like eight years old um, in his office in this basement. And it, it terrified me, but like that feeling was something I hadn't felt before. And I just kept wanting more and more and more. So he showed me the Leprechaun movies. And then like, as I got older and older, we would kind of like bond over watching horror movies. Um, and then when he died in 2008, it kind of like, you know, not that I wasn't already on the path of like making horror movies, but like, you know, now I'm just like, Oh, would dad like have liked this movie? Like would dad have watched this on his own? Would this be one of the movies that dad had shown me and been like, Oh, well, this is awesome. Um, so yeah, my dad was a huge influence in, in getting into horror. As a director, did you ever, have you ever had that moment where you we're too focused on trying to be like someone that you looked up to earlier or an inspiration that you had. Did you ever have that moment where you had to take a step back and just think, I have to be myself and be somebody different? I wouldn't say that I, I, I ever uh, compared myself to my idols. Mm-hmm. However, I did get into my own head a lot where I wanted things to be completely perfect um, and waited for them to be perfect. And then by the time, like, I actually like, you know, snapped out of it. I was like, oh, it's been like six months. I could have made, had this movie released three months ago. Um, I've kind of like came to the conclusion that even if you make a bad movie, the cool thing about movies is you can make another one, especially if it's indie and you're not dealing with other people's budgets or, or anything like that. Like if you're just using the money in pocket, like you can make as many movies as you want and, it, you know, even if you make a stinker, you can make three great ones right after that. So, so you talked about uh, you going from doing everything to, you know, having that air conditioning trailer as the director. So, what would you say is your favorite aspect of movie making? I honestly, my favorite aspect. I I don't like being on set as much as you know a director probably should like being on set. I actually like seeing the movie come together or editing in my mind as I'm directing. Mm -hmm. So, so seeing like a certain scene and then reshooting the scene and being like, Oh, that take would go great. Like that. I'm able to do that in my mind pretty easily. And I love doing that. Um, And, and kind of my 
for my everyday job, I'm also a commercial director. So I do like six to 10 commercials a month. Uh, and for those, I'm like everything. I, I go from writing the commercial to releasing the commercial. So I get that editing aspect. So I feel like that helps me on set because like I said, I can, I can know what's gonna cut together and not spend you know, extra time reshooting things or, or doing things a certain way, knowing that I have what I have and I, I got what I need. So you spoke on the people that, like the guy from your film school, like the jealous people and how the industry can change or can flip on a dime rather. So what would you, and I know a lot of people have spoken about like the entertainment industry as a whole and say it's a doggy it's a dog world or it's really tough. What would you say is the biggest hurdle you faced in the industry? And what's a, and what's a hurdle that you're willing to expect in the future? I think the biggest hurdle is, is just getting your movie in front of the right people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's kind of the, the hurdle for everybody is like, making a good movie is step one. It's, I feel like there's so many more steps as to getting it seen, uh, not only getting it seen by the right people, picking the right uh, distributor who actually will, you know, make sure that you get paid and not just them. We had a problem with our movie. I made a movie called the Cohasset snuff film. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a movie about a kid in high school who gets a camera from his yearbook club. They tell him to go get interviews with all the seniors. And instead he, films himself plotting out and carrying out the murders of three classmates. Um, it's a found footage film. So we won a few film festivals. We had all this hype and everything like that. We were really, really excited and picked this distributor. And to this day, we haven't made a dime off of this distributor. And they made like, like they basically like have it. So every single time we're about to make money, they have some new expense that we had to, they had to take from us and stuff. So they made like fifty or sixty thousand dollars, and we made nothing. Um, so, learning, you know, trial by by fire, and actually like having to deal with these in the littler films will definitely get you kind of ready for the bigger, bigger leagues. I guess is a, is the way to put it. Making all your mistakes when there's not a lot of money involved. So you've spoken about like these things, right? Like, so what would you? So, I'm pretty ignorant on you know how what really goes into a tv show or a movie or even a commercial can you walk us through the process of making a movie or a commercial or even a tv show sure i mean first you have to get a script whether you're writing it yourself or you're finding it and optioning it from you know a professional writer or something like that uh -huh. Then you have to get the funding. Um, so the funding can either come from private investors or you have to get, get it from uh, a company who maybe has a slate of like 10 movies that are looking for scripts. There's not really a set way to get your funding, but you need funding. Um, and then from there, you create the schedule um, based on the actors that you cast. And again, depending on who you have for the funders. Sometimes the people funding the film will demand that you have a certain caliber of actor. Uh, so they get their return back or, or, you know, they're closer to get their return back. Sometimes you kind of get like carte blanche and able to do whatever you want. They just want to see a check at the end once you start making money. But then you make your schedule, you shoot the film. And from there, depending on the kind of film and how much effects and stuff you have in it, 
you're probably looking at a three month to up to sometimes up to two years as far as uh, the editing process. Because in the editing process too, you not only are dealing with putting the film together, you need to have a professional sound person come in and kind of put all the sound cues in there, mix all the sound. If you have any audio that just doesn't work, they have to do all the um, all the dubbing and all the um, ADR. So basically getting the actors back in and in a recording studio and doing their lines again. And then you have to have a composer, someone who's going to go through the entire movie and put all the music to the movie, as well as a music supervisor who is looking for songs that already exist. Like, you know, this would be like, you know, if you wanted to put a popular song in your movie or something uh, at some point, they basically get those licensed. Um, and then you have a whole run. Once the movie's actually done, you probably have about a year of film festivals and that costs money. Each film festival is usually around $50 to, you know, higher than that. Some of the bigger ones up to like $300. Um, you go through a whole round of that. From there, you kind of, if you don't have distribution already, sometimes for a bigger budget, you would already have distribution at this point. But from there, if you don't have distribution, that's what you use the film festivals for is kind of like show credibility. Like, look at all these awards yeah. we won. And you try to get a distributor and then from there you get your film distributed and you just collect money holy shit that's uh that's a lot i'm not gonna lie yeah. listening to that i'm pretty tired <laughs> i know that you know your wife keeps you grounded but uh i wouldn't be so i wouldn't be i uh, wouldn't be surprised if you know you or even somebody you know did some drugs to to keep you up with with all this because that that sounds like a lot so, I drink a lot of coffee and on set <laughs> I drink a lot of I've literally on my on my last film uh, I was having so many monster energy drinks that one of the PAs was like you're gonna die <laughs> uh, I've cut down so it's, it's good now but like on set it's like and, and you're so nervous about the next day that you don't sleep right um, especially on like night shoots sometimes like specifically for this last horror movie that I did this movie bits um, I should give listeners kind of an idea of what that movie is. It's about a haunted Sega Genesis game. And basically you play the first level. And if you die, you become possessed and kill everyone you've had contact with in the last 24 hours. So we shot that movie. We have some horror names in it. We have D Wallace, who is the mom in ET and the lead in Cujo and stuff like that, as well as a bunch of other horror people in it. But um, a lot of the movie takes place at night. So halfway through shooting like a day schedule, seven days in, we had to switch to a night schedule. So now we're shooting 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. after having like a full week of shooting, you know, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So you just get like no sleep in between. And now all of a sudden, like your body is just completely thrown off and you have to do this whole new schedule. You're not seeing the sun until it's time to go to bed. Um, so I forgot what the question was, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot what the question was or where, where I was going. <laughs> Me <with that>. too. <laughs> I got a, got really focused in that story. So as a, ha have you worked in, I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but have you worked in the casting actors part? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Um, I think every director for the most part has some kind of, hand casting actors whether they're actually sitting in you know a casting room or uh 
you know, if you're casting big actors, a lot of the times they don't do auditions. So you just kind of are picking them based on, you know, who you can afford. Um, specifically, this was the case where like, uh, like I mentioned, we got D Wallace, who was um, the, the lead in Cujo. And she kind of wasn't even the original person we had for the film. We originally had another woman who was pretty well known. I don't want to mention her name because uh, I feel bad, but she had a, a medical emergency. So we only had three days to cast someone in this huge role. And we ended up getting Dee Wallace like last minute with three days to spare. And we're able to, you know, shoot her in, get her in like in, in the week and have her be fantastic. And like one of the best parts of the movie. So I need you to think really big for this next question. All right. Sure. As big as you can. So give me your five to 10 cast, your dream cast to make the perf your perfect film. And what would that film be about? Huh. Okay. So I've always wanted to work with Malcolm McDowell from uh -huh. Clockwork Orange. He's in a bunch of movies now. Most of the time now he's in like lower budget horror movies and stuff, but I've always liked him as an actor. Um, let me guess, let me see. It would definitely be a horror movie first off, probably a psychological horror movie. I don't know what it would be about, but I know that I would want, um, definitely want Malcolm McDowell. I would probably want Tony Collette, mm -hmm. just because she's an amazing actress who can play so many different versatile roles. Um, let me see, five and ten's a lot. Let me see. Um, just five at least. Ben Foster. Mm -hmm. I like Ben Foster. He's always intense and stuff. Um, who else? Let's say Florence Pugh. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it'd be cool to work with Denzel for sure. Of course. I don't know. Uh, let's say let's say five. Is that five? Yes, five. Okay. I'd uh, I'd watch that. I'd pay good money to watch that movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm uh, not really sure. I because I wasn't keeping time. Uh, Zoom is probably gonna kick me off in a couple of minutes. So to wrap it up, last question, right? Yeah. What advice would you give to any aspiring director that might be listening to this right now? I think we, I think we kind of mentioned it earlier, but basically just use whatever you can that's around you. Don't wait for the perfect script. Don't wait for the perfect movie to start making things. Just mm -hmm. use everything that's um, available to you. I think Robert Rodriguez said it in his book, like, you know, if you have a turtle, make a movie about your turtle. If you have a dog, make a movie about your dog. Um, if you have an apartment, make a movie about someone in an apartment. Don't like, be really extravagant on your first script and like make a movie that's like a, a fantasy film and set in a castle if you don't have that stuff readily available to you uh -huh. because you'll be waiting a really long time to make it all right thank you edward you've been a wonderful thank guest you, man. uh hopefully we'll, we can have you back on soon or in the future uh to wrap it up is it any any socials that they can follow you on that the people can get get at you at with the all of the all the latest news about your upcoming films and things of that nature 
sure. Yeah. I just came out with a documentary film. Uh, it's really near and dear to me. It's called our friend John and it has a Facebook page. Just look up our friend John, the documentary. Uh, it's about three young boys trying to, um, make a film for their friend who died of sickle cell anemia and all the boys have disabilities of their own and they've never made a movie before. So we kind of documented that process in a movie called our friend, John, uh, I am huge on Instagram. So if you look up my Instagram, it's an anti hero production. Mm -hmm. And in between each of the words, there's just the underscore. So an anti hero production with an underscore between each words, but, uh, I'm very, very responsive. I post all the time. So, um, yeah, those are the two best places, I would say. All right. Thank you, Edward. And thank you for listening. Hey, guys, it's pre-recorded Justin. Thank you for listening to this episode of the No Country for Old Coffee podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we have many more like this one. For our full catalog of shows, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many more. While you're there, make sure you leave us a good review because it really helps out in the podcast algorithm. I'm asking you because I'm a nice boy and I deserve this. You heard this episode. It was great, wasn't it? Yeah, I know it was. Also, make sure you follow us and subscribe to be notified when we post new content. Follow us on Twitter at NoCountryPod and follow us on Instagram at NoCountryJJ. We post our new episodes and exclusives you can only get when following us exclusives. Yeah, I said it. Exclusives. Share this podcast with your friends, neighbors, enemies, co-workers, and everyone you know. Until next time.